Before we begin this week's episode, I just wanted to note that today is the 22nd anniversary of the passing of Melissa Henning Camp. Those of you who are longtime listeners should know who she is, and she was a big part in, or say big inspiration for me doing this show, uh, for my vocation, for my faith. Um, You could say she was and is the spark that ignited my passion for for my faith. And I can never thank her uh, or her mother, Jeanette, enough for for everything. Um, Her mother, Jeanette, um, has done everything she can over these past 22 years and wonderfully done to keep Melissa alive. And there is a movie called I Still Believe. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. Regardless of what your faith is, you will absolutely love this movie. And it will truly inspire your faith regardless of what it is or isn't. It really, you cannot help but be uh, touched, moved, and inspired by Melissa's story uh, in this movie. So um, today's show is dedicated to Melissa in infinite thanks, blessings, and love to her for being such a, 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 you know, a light, such an inspiration to not just me, but for literally thousands and thousands of people. And again, uh, Jeanette, if you're listening, infinite thanks, blessings, and love to you for all of the work, all of the time, and all of the love that you put in into keeping uh, Melissa alive in our hearts and in our culture and, you know, everywhere. And later today, I will be doing a video on our YouTube channel about Melissa and um, uh, what she's done for me and to me. So um, be sure to check that out. There'll be information right after this on how you can find our YouTube channel. everyone just a real quick announcement about our youtube channel yes we have a youtube channel you can find us at youtube.com forward slash at the ambersand sign faith and more podcast and there you will find all kinds of fun things audio versions of the show you're listening to now are uploaded to youtube each week if you want to listen on youtube instead of listening through spotify excuse me spotify apple podcast or one of the other avenues that you listen to or through. Uh, also, I am doing homilies every other week. Father Mike has me doing that as part of my seminary class. So you'll get to see those homilies. They're uploaded. Plus, each week or every other week, I upload a segment called Ask Angel, where I answer your questions. And you'll get to see me moving, grooving, and squirming as I answer those questions. So again, head on over to youtube.com forward slash at the Amber Sand Sign, Faith and More Podcast. Welcome to the Faith and More Podcast. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, a spiritual guide, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we will explore the lives of these amazing beings. 
We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. This show is also non-denominational and inclusive, so it is a safe place for everyone, regardless of what you believe or don't believe. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed, that you have a wonderful week, and that you're having a wonderful and beautiful day whenever you are listening to this show. If you're new to the show, thank you for finding us. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything that you're looking for in a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a long-time loving and loyal listener. You are the reason why this show is here. So back in episode 10 of this season, which was titled Dealing with Loss, I spoke a little bit about the Buddhist, especially Tibetan Buddhist uh, practices with regard to death and dying and and loss. And one of the big uh, misunderstandings that people have when they meet me and they're around me for or communicating with me for any length of time is that they get the misunderstanding that they feel that I am doom and gloom and always focused on dying. And today we're going to explore that a bit through one of my absolute most favorite Tibetan Buddhist teachers by the name of Dilgo Kinsu Rinpoche. Um, this Thing that I'm going to be sharing with you about him today, this article, which I will have a link in the show notes and descriptions, as we always do, um, is not just about his life, but also about his teachings. And that's the thing about a teacher is you can learn from their life, but you can learn more from their teachings. Uh, just like Jesus, you know, we, we learn about his life, um, what little bit we know. Of course, you know, there's a big gap between the age of 12 and 30, um, but we what little bit we know, uh, we savor. We we try to ingest and, and incorporate in our lives, and uh, we have you know great respect in for his life, but more so his teachings. Um, and as we'll see as we go through Dogo Kinsen Rinpoche's teachings, and as I'll be talking more about Tibetan, uh, you know specifically Tibetan Buddhist teachers, it goes for all teachers of all faiths is that they all have that one goal, is to awaken you, the student, to help you see the truth, to open your eyes and your heart to what truly is real. And in thus doing that, you are awakened, you're enlightened, you're blessed. Um, And we'll get into more of that. But again, you know, as I said, a lot of times people misconstrue my talks uh, of, in, about, you know, dying and, um, you know, especially when it comes to my heart disease and heart failure situation where, you know, I don't know, honestly, how much time I have. You know, I've been given, um, you know, certain amount of years by doctors, but, you know, that's not etched in stone and that's not my focal point. All of that is, is references, references and proof of how precious each and every moment 
of your life, my life, our lives is. We are beyond blessed to have made it as far as we have. There are so many things in the world, in just nature alone. If you just take diseases, for example, there's so many things working against us, working against this physical life that could easily snuff it out, as we've seen with the pandemic, that it's so important that you focus on the importance of making the most of each and every moment. And that is, my brothers and sisters, why I focus on um, not just death, but impermanence and you know, especially with heart disease um, and heart failure, you know, that, that limits my time even more, could be, possibly. But it's a good thing to keep in mind. It's a good pointer. It's a good stick to tap yourself with every once in a while when you find that you're starting to slip back into the delusion and illusion of the world and media of, oh, you're going to live forever. We all know that is very incorrect. But yet there's a part of our psyche that believes that uh, because death, especially in American uh, society, has received such a negative um, you know, connotation, negative beliefs, and not that it's a transition, you know. You know, we recently talked about on the um, book nook um, for January about the latest issues with regard to me becoming a priest. Well, uh, I was speaking with another priest, and and I won't say their name, but they, they were like, you know, when I was saying, you know, um, I just don't know how much time I have, and the time I do have is so very important and precious that I can't. You know, it's not that I would be wasting it going down this avenue of becoming a deacon, you know, a year maybe in the process of that, and then a year to two years of being a deacon, and then with no guarantees of ever being a priest, you know, I have to look at it as I'm not 20 years old and in great health. You know, I am, you know, 53, almost 54 years old come April 6th um, with heart failure and heart disease. So, you know, that has to be a guide stick for me. It should be for anyone um, to choose wisely the path that you take. You know, you don't want to be spinning your wheels. And I'm not saying it's, it would be a waste. It wouldn't be a waste. But I would not achieve my goal. You know, I wouldn't achieve my vocation. I wouldn't achieve the calling that I so feel with every ounce of my being that the divine wants me to be. I wouldn't be going down the path that the divine is wanting me to go down if I would have went that route. But it, I can understand, you know, especially those who don't have an Eastern background, when someone's talking constantly about that pointer about death, they immediately switch to Western ways of view because that's all they know. That's all they've been conditioned and taught is that, you know, death is negative and that you shouldn't be talking about it. To talk about it, um, you know, is, is like you're, you know, you're just doom and gloom. You're trying to summon it, you know, kind of thing.
But anyway, we'll share more as we go along. But now to one of my fav most favorite teachers, uh, this uh, amazing, truly beyond amazing being um, is known in the Tibetan tradition as one of my heart teachers or heart guru. Um, that is a teacher that is in your heart, that is that you are so connected to and with. And Dilgo Kinsu Rinpoche has always been, from the beginning, uh, such um, a, a beloved teacher of mine. And no, I never got to meet him personally. I only know him through his teachings and through the videos that are available of him. Um, you know, he passed in 1992, uh, the same year my son was born. Um, but, you know, you can still have that connection. And we'll get more into that as we talk about uh, Dilgo Kinsu Rinpoche and, and Tibetan Buddhism and things of that nature as we go along. And just to let everybody know, this is not heresy that I'm going to be sharing today. I, as we go, I'm going to share with you how you can take this teacher and connect it with any religion, connect him with any faith or belief, and his teachings will go exactly with whatever faith you are or not. So the article I'm going to be uh, reading from today is called Dilgo Kenso Rinpoche's Last Teaching by Matthew Ricard. And those of you who are familiar with Buddhism uh, know that Matthew Ricard is like one of the big, the big Western guns in Tibetan Buddhism, um, you know, who, you know, even though he's not Tibetan of, you know, culture or heritage, um, he is very Tibetan Buddhist. Oh, and just a quick trivia question for you. Show of hands, name one, just one famous actor who is Tibetan Buddhist. Any ideas? If you answered Richard Gere or Pierce Brosnan, you would be correct. <laughs> yes, both are practicing Tibetan Buddhist. Uh, so we'll begin the article. The article begins with a, a, a quote from uh, Dilgo Kinsu Rinpoche. It says, Even if death were to fall upon you today like lightning, you must be ready to die without sadness and regret, without any residue of clinging for what is left behind, remaining in the recognition of the absolute view you should leave this life like an eagle soaring up into the blue sky. So see here, here we start right off the bat about death. And, you know, as Rinpoche is pointing out, is that, you know, this attachment and clinging to this life, you know, is, is an illusion, you know, and delusion. You know, it's ignorance because we don't realize what life truly is. Once we do realize what life truly is and is supposed to be and our role in that said life, um, then we don't, we're not as attached as we once were. You know, we may not be able to soar away like an eagle in the blue sky, but, you know, we can hop a little, you know. It is achievable is what he's getting at, but it takes awareness. It takes diligence. It takes consistency. Um, it takes discipline, a lot of discipline. 
Dilgo Kinsu Rinpoche was born in 1910 in eastern Tibet. Even as a little boy, Rinpoche manifested a strong desire to devote himself entirely to the religious life. Before his main teacher passed away, Kinsu Rinpoche promised him that he would unstingingly teach whoever asked for teachings. He was then 15 years old, and to prepare himself, he spent most of the next 13 years in silent retreat and remote hermitages and caves deep in the wilderness of the wooded hills near his birthplace in the valley of Dinkuk. He constantly meditated on love, compassion, and the wish to bring all beings to freedom and enlightenment. The thought of death is considered by Buddhist practitioners to be a most effective encouragement to spiritual practice. While in retreat, Kinsu Rinpoche wrote, In the midst of the clouds of impermanence and illusion dances the lightning of life. Can you say you won't die tomorrow? Practice the Dharma. Now is the time to conquer the citadel of great bliss. So let's break this down and we'll take it as a, a Christian perspective because a lot of the people that listen to the show are Christian. So he says, in the midst of the clouds of impermanence and illusion, that's our everyday life. That's life is that we our judgment. Our perception is clouded. Um, we don't understand what is impermanence means which is means it's never it's not everlasting or forever lasting and we don't understand what is illusion you know the thing our thoughts our emotions we take as concrete proof so much so that it creates hatred and prejudice against others who don't have the same feelings emotions and beliefs as we do we see this a lot in a lot of religious hatred um, and prejudice towards other faiths. So Rinpoche points out, can you say you won't die tomorrow? So some people might say, well, you know, any of us could die tomorrow. But no, can you actualize and realize that you could possibly die tomorrow? So why aren't you studying? Okay, for Christians, why aren't you studying your Bible? Why aren't you doing um, Lexio Divina, contemplating the passages, putting the teachings of Christ into practice, living the teachings of Christ, walking like Christ? Why? Why aren't you doing this? What are you waiting for? You could die tomorrow. Would you be ready? That's the big question that is posed here. So he says, practice. The Dharma means practice the teachings. The teachings of who? Whomever your teacher is, whatever your faith is or isn't. All of us look up to different people for teachings, for wisdom, for advice. Even if it's YouTube videos, you know, we all look to someone or something to teach us, to guide us. So put your teacher's teachings into practice. He says, now is the time to conquer the citadel of great bliss. So we have this illusion that life is blissful, that, you know, 
well, when we're not suffering, right? So we, we have this belief that, you know, bliss is something we are to achieve in this lifetime. Um, and from a Buddhist perspective, that is not possible. Yes, you can be happy in this lifetime, but it's always going to be, there's always going to be some type of suffering. And that's not doom or gloom or anything negative. We learn so much through our suffering. Just think if your life was blissful. Um, say that of an angel where you never had anything to worry about. You never had any suffering, no conflictive emotions at all. What would you learn? Nothing, because there would be nothing you would want to learn. You wouldn't be motivated to learn anything. Life would be or existence would be extremely dull boring. I mean, just insert whatever you would wish there. Um, so again, as he's saying, you know, it's important for us to realize impermanence, the illusions in this life, to realize that tomorrow could be the day you die. Or as Don McLean saying, this will be the day that I die. And not just not looking at it as a doom and gloom, but using that as a guide stick to wake you up to, hey, I need to get my butt moving. I need to get these things done. There's so much I need to study. How well do you know your Bible? How well do you practice your Bible? And I mean that for everybody of all faiths, whatever your Bible is. How well do you know it? How well do you know your faith? How well do you put it into practice? How much love, compassion, acceptance, inclusion do you offer others, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their faith? Again, are you ready? Are you ready for your last breath? So this, my dear brothers and sisters, is where a lot of people misconstrue what I'm talking about when I'm referring to death uh, as being doom and gloom, and, and it's not, not at all. It's a, it's, it's exactly, exactly what this amazing, amazing teaching, the small phrase uh, from Rinpoche that is all encompassing of every bit of wisdom. You could take this one passage and meditate, contemplate, and wake up right now. And what I mean by wake up is wake up to what you truly and naturally are. Wake up to your divineness, your divine self, your Christ nature, your true nature, whatever you want to label it. It's something that can't be labeled, but of course, as humans, we have to. This one passage can do that. So the article continues. Once he said, at first, you should be driven by fear of birth and death like a stag escaping from a trap. In the middle, you should have nothing to regret, even if you die, like a farmer who has carefully worked his fields. In the end, you should feel relieved and happy, like a person who has just completed a formidable task. After those 13 years, Kensa Rinpoche told his second teacher that he wished to spend the rest of his life in strict, solitary meditation retreat. 
But his teacher said, the time has come for you to teach and transmit to others all the countless precious teachings you have received. Tibetans consider that such masters as Kinsu Rinpoche have truly gone beyond the limitations of birth and death. The great yogi Milarepa wrote, and we'll be doing a show on Milarepa sometime in the future. So Milarepa wrote, fearing death, I went to the mountains over and over again. I meditated on death, its unpredictable coming, and took to the stronghold of the deathless, unchanging nature. Now I am completely beyond all fear of dying. So what does that mean? Single baked bean. <laughs> Those of you from the Mighty Boosh fans will know what I mean by that. Single baked bean. What does it mean? Fearing death, I went to the mountain. So death, thinking of dying, put the fear of God literally into Milarepa. So he went to the mountains to so he would not be distracted by everyday life. So he could have that solitude and silence to contemplate and meditate on death, a.k.a. impermanence, meaning nothing lives forever and everything is always in a constant state of change. It's often so subtle we don't ever recognize the changes. Over and over again, I meditated on death's unpredictable coming. Again, like uh, Rinpoche said, you don't know when. So, you know, he became aware of this. You might think it's elementary, but it is. But put it into practice. Recall it often. Live it. That's difficult. So through this contemplation and realization of the unpredictability of life and when death can come, he says it took the stronghold of deathless, unchanging nature in him. What does that mean? It means he awoke to the one thing in him in all of us that is never changing that is eternal and what is that folks that is divine in you in me in everything that is the only thing absolute only thing within each of us that is ever constant and never changing and eternal is that divine spark divine nature christ consciousness the divine god whatever holy spirit whatever you want to label it doesn't matter it doesn't change the truth of what it is and from that milarepa got the realization now i am completely beyond all fear of dying because he realized the truth of death, that there is no death. And we talked about that in um, the episode on loss, which was episode 11, a couple episodes back. Anyway, the article continues by saying, Kinsu Rinpoche himself said, when death finally comes, you will welcome it like an old friend, aware of how dreamlike and impermanent by, excuse me, the whole phenomenal world really is. He was always acutely aware of impermanence and death. And whenever people would ask him to come and visit them or request him to come again, he would say, if I'm still alive, I shall come. 
Even after he had turned 80 years old, Kensu Rinpoche's characteristic stamina seemed little affected. However, in early 1991, he began to show signs of ill health. He was losing weight and needed more and more rest. He passed much of the time in silent prayer and meditation, also known as contemplation, setting aside only a few hours of the day to meet those who most needed to see him. Now, please keep in mind that uh, Rinpoche used to sit literally for up to 20, sometimes 24 hours a day to meet with people. People would come by the bus loads and line up all day for hours upon hours upon hours to meet with him, to touch him, to receive some type of advice or teaching from him. He was such an amazing and loving being. And you will see this in the picture that I use for the cover of this episode. You can just see it in Rinpoche. This, you can feel it, this unconditional love, this Christ love that he just emanated so naturally. He loved everyone. He loved all beings. He loved to hug people, touch people, to reassure them through touch that they were going to be okay, that we can get through this thing, as Prince said, called life, that it's not impossible to achieve awakening, enlightenment, heaven, nirvana, whatever you want to label it. So when he left Nepal for Bhutan, many close disciples secretly felt that they might not see him again. He spent three and a half months in retreat opposite the tiger's nest, Paro Taksan in Bhutan. And if you guys have never seen this monastery called the tiger's nest, Google it. Google it right now. Tiger's nest in Bhutan. B-H-U-T-A-N. It is absolutely beautiful. I used to meditate just looking at the picture of the tiger's nest for so many years. It's absolutely stunning. It's a, it's a monastery built into the side of a mountain. And it's not like low. You actually have to go up, up the mountain about halfway to get to the tiger's nest. And it's built into the side of the cave. I mean, side of the mountain, and there's a cave that's behind it that it goes into. It's just, it's completely mind-blowing. It's a place I've always, always wanted to go, but it's, it will ne not happen in this lifetime. So anyway, the Tiger's Nest, without a doubt, is one of the most sacred places, blessed by Padma Sambhava, also known as Guru Rinpoche. Yes, we'll have a, a show on him further down the line as well. He is the teacher who brought Buddhism to Tibet. During that year, he indicated, Rinpoche did, many times that he was going to leave this world. He would sometimes joke about it, saying things such as, shall I die now? So again, with our Western culture, we would say, what is his deal with death? What is he a, a death monger? Why is he wanting to die? He's not. It's his way of not only reminding himself that he has a lot to do, in a short time to get it done, but he's also reminding us of the very same because we do not know. 
These great teachers and masters know when they're getting close to the end of their life, they can feel it. They can feel their life energy starting to fade, and they can feel their spirit or soul, again, whatever you want to label it, um, pulling from the body, ready to you know, pack its bags, you know, sprouting wings, and, and ready to fly. So it's his way, again, of saying, look, I've got a job to do, and I've got to get it done. And you have a job to do and need to get it done as well. Then a very old lama, which is also the name for a teacher, a title of a teacher. I used to be a lama at one time, predicted that Kinsa Rinpoche was in danger of falling. Unfortunately, this actually happened. Kinsa Rinpoche hurt his leg and had to undergo minor surgery. Following this, he became weaker and thinner. Many ceremonies were offered for his long life. One day, a bright rainbow appeared on the tent that Kinsu Rinpoche used in the daytime. This was interpreted by other lamas and teachers as the time when the angels were coming to invite Kinsu Rinpoche to heaven. Once at night, a woman was heard crying loudly around Kinsu Rinpoche's hermitage, but there seemed to be no one there. Similarly, a rainbow shone in a passage below Guru Padmasambhava's temple and Kinsu Rinpoche's monastery in Nepal in an unexplainable way. However, after his retreat, Rinpoche seemed to be in better health, but soon he again showed signs of illness and for 12 days was almost completely unable to eat or drink. Three times he indicated that he would not live long. When Rabjam Rinpoche, his grandson and spiritual heir, and Zongsar Kinsu Rinpoche, the incarnation of one of his main teachers, requested him to live longer and offered him a statue, a book, and a stupa as symbols of the enlightened body, mind, and speech. Kinsu Rinpoche took them and offered them back to the two incarnate teachers. Three days before passing away, he wrote on a piece of paper, I shall go on the 19th. His closest disciple and spiritual friend, Trulshik Rinpoche, arrived from Nepal on September 26, 1991. And they had a happy meeting on the next day, September 27th, the 19th of the Tibetan month at nightfall. He asked his attendants to help him sit in an upright position and went into a peaceful sleep. In the early hours of the morning, his breathing ceased and his mind dissolved into the absolute expanse. Immediately after a great teacher passes away, the main practice to be done is the merging one's mind with the guru's mind or the teacher's mind, also known as guru yoga. This practice is especially important and powerful when a great teacher dies and his mind is itself merging with the absolute expanse of the Dharma Datu, which is Christ, God. At this time, the absolute aspect of his mind, what one calls the Dharmakaya, becomes all pervasive and excuse me, pervasive and merges with the wisdom mind of all the great teachers, all of the great saints, as water merges with water. To unite one's mind with the teacher's mind, 
is to realize the absolute nature of the teacher's mind, which is the same as the true nature of one's own mind. So what does all that mean? It expands on it here. As Lama Shabkar said, that means, again, Lama means teacher or priest. In the beginning, I took the teacher as teacher. In the middle, I took the scriptures as teacher. In the end, I took my own mind as teacher. So let's break that down. We'll start with the first sentence. In the beginning, I took the teacher as the teacher. Again, we see the teacher as the teacher. This person's got this wisdom that I don't have. They are aware of their true nature, their divine nature, the divineness in them. And they're sharing that divine wisdom with me. So you could say your local priest, pastor of your church does this every Sunday, or if you're Roman Catholic every day, or if you're Orthodox several times a week, your priest, pastor, minister, whomever you go to church or synagogue or temple to see, does this with you every time you're there. The teacher, you see the teacher as the teacher, separate from you, okay? In the middle, as you mature and you're growing in your, in your faith, in your studies and practices of your faith, in the middle, you take the scriptures as the teacher. So your Bible, your Quran, um, you know, the Dhammapada, um, you know, it, it, whatever, whatever book, you know, the Vedas, whatever books or scriptures that are holy to your faith, we look to them as our teacher. Sometimes we do the first and second sentence at the same time. We see the teacher as a teacher and we see the scriptures as a teacher. Nothing wrong with that. But by the end, we should look at our own mind. And what they mean by mind is your heart, your true nature, your divine nature. And we believe that that resides in the heart. Remember, I've always said, go from, from you know, living life and reacting to life from your head, from your mind to your heart. So in the end, you realize that your heart, the divine, is your teacher. But you also have to remember, and I always love to point this out, because it's often forgotten, Everybody else has the same thing. Everybody else has the same qualities. Everybody else has divine nature, regardless of what it is labeled or not labeled, no matter if they're aware of it or deny it or are not aware of it. It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the truth that this is in everyone. So even though it's special to you, and it's important that you wake up and are aware of your divine self, your divine nature, of God in you, of Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Trinity in you. It's also important that everybody else wakes up to that as well. And they all do it their own way. If someone asks you how you have achieved this, if you've achieved this and they've noticed this, feel free to share. But don't go out 
and berate people to be as you, because no one can be you. Every one of us is individual, even though we all share 99.9% of the same DNA. We, that one-tenth of a percent is such a difference for all of us. And it's important that we respect that in others, that we focus on the similarities and commonalities of each other instead of the differences, that we don't hate, that we don't have prejudice towards anyone, regardless of their race, color, beliefs, faith or no faith. We need to focus on the similarities. If you say, well, I don't have anything in common with them. There's nothing similar between me and, and John. You're humans, aren't you? You can start from there. You're humans. You have emotions. You feel pain. You love things. You hate things. Focus on what you love. Focus on the humanness. Focus on the pain and how to overcome that together. See, there's always ways to do this. And that is what this phrase was referring to. 36 hours after his teacher's last breath, Trolshik Rinpoche decided that Kintsu's Rinpoche's last meditation was completed. And his body, or Kudong, was enshrined and carried in procession by the Tulkus to the main temple of Tempu Zong, where everyone, from the king and royal family of Bhutan to the most humble people, came and paid homage. Within hours, and day after day, many masters from all schools converged in Bhutan to pay homage at the request of disciples from Tibet and all over the world so that they could come to pay a last homage to their teacher. Kintsu Rinpoche's body was preserved for a year using traditional embalming methods. Now, see, this is interesting because... In the um, show episode 10 about loss, I shared that Tibetans don't preserve the body. This is one of those rare situations where they, they do or did. Okay, and this is an extreme rare circumstance. So every Friday, now they did this for a year. They kept him laying in state or... I should say, meditating in state. He was in a meditative posture in state for a year. Every Friday, the day of his death, for the first seven weeks, 100,000 butter lamps were offered at the Bodhnath Stupa near Session Monastery in Nepal. Finally, his remains were cremated near Paro in Bhutan in November of 1992. And a, excuse me, at a three-day ceremony attended by over a hundred important teachers, the royal family and ministers of Bhutan, 500 Western disciples, and a huge crowd of some 60,000 devotees, a gathering unprecedented in Bhutan's history. So these people did not worship, don't get it wrong, these people did not worship Rinpoche. They saw him as their teacher. 
they saw him as a living representation of God in human form. Not to be compared to Christ because Christ was his own, but in a way he was very similar. He shared with them only that which someone of divine nature could share. Again, nothing special. We all have that divine nature, and we can share that with others through our actions, how we live, how we talk, what we do, what we don't do. Um, we can share that with others that way. Just as Rinpoche did, he taught through teachings because people asked him to teach, and that's exactly what he did. It says the pyre is visualized as a mandala of the guru's body as the main point of the mandala. Now, those of you who don't know what a mandala is, I urge you to Google it. We might do a show sometime down the road on, on what mandalas are. Um, but it's like a, uh, a layout, a map of the universe or a map of life. And um, the funeral pyre that they built for um, Rinpoche made him as the central focus point inside the pyre, inside the, the stupa that they built. And again, you can Google stupa, S-T-U-P-A, and, and see what a stupa looks like. Um, there's one that's very near to me, well, a couple hours away in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, that uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's brother uh, built at a center there and the Dalai Lama consecrated. I've talked about this in a previous show, but anyway, you can always Google that to see what a stupa is. So he was placed inside that as you know a crematory. Okay, so it says, four main fire offering ceremonies carried out by teachers of the four main lineages of Tibetan Buddhism. So people might be scratching your head saying, what in the world is, what are the four lineages? Or it's actually known as the four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. Just like you have different types of Christians, um, you have different types of Tibetan Buddhists. Um, you have the Naigma tradition. You have the Sakya tradition. You have the Kaigyu tradition. And you have the Galugpa tradition. Now, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is mainly a teacher of the Galupa tradition, but he has been schooled in all of the traditions, in all of the schools of uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And Rinpoche, Dugo Kinsa Rinpoche, uh, was a great teacher and master of the Naigma tradition. When I first started off in Tibetan Buddhism, I was studying the Galupa way because of the Dalai Lama um, catching my eye and my heart and, and guided me to, to study Tibetan Buddhism. But quickly, that changed to the Naigma way. The Naigma is the very old way. There's an, an, actually a tradition older than Naigma called Bonpo, um, which is very, very ancient. Um, so Naigma would be after that. So there's actually what, be, there would be five traditions. But a lot of the Tibetans, again, here we have prejudice and hatred. A lot of the main four teachers, I mean, traditions of Tibetan Buddhism don't agree with Bonpo because they call the Bon or the Bonpos witches because they practice a lot of esoteric stuff, which is if you look, if you look at Tibetan Buddhist rituals, there's a lot of esoteric work there as well. So I don't know how one can call one. I never understood that. But anyway, if you all want more information on it, you can either Google it or ask me and I'll be more than happy to share. So again, great teachers and masters from all four of those traditions um, came and they recited Buddhist scriptures, they offered did offerings. Um, 
made for the funeral of one of spiritual teachers have immense benefits. They act as an antidote for one's obscurations or obstacles and swiftly perfect one's merits. They cleanse all defects created through having had disrespect for one's teacher. They ensure that one will meet one's spiritual master in one's next life and with one's mind filled with the wish to bring all living sentient beings to immediate happiness and to the ultimate bliss of awakening to what their true divine nature is and with pure vision that sees the whole phenomenal world as a pure divine land. Kind of like the kingdom on earth. So know these offerings, though they were made to Rinpoche, weren't for Rinpoche. They were for everyone that were coming, all the people that were gathering, all of his students, everyone there to help them awaken, to help them resolve any conflicts that they may have had. You know, again, hatred, prejudice. You know, there may have been some people that hated him, that didn't like him, that slandered him. You know, this was helping them. It was forgiving them. It was a big uh, repentance you could say in Christian terms, um, people getting forgiveness and waking up to getting the opportunity to wake up to their divine nature. So when the cremation was completed, the relics were gathered. Tibetan Buddhist practitioners consider that the relics of their guru's body are like wish fulfilling jewels, which can fulfill the aspirations of, a, of beings, just like we do in Christian, especially Catholics, do with the relics of saints. They believe the same thing. Anything connected with the body relics, such as bones, the cloth that is used to wrap the body, the salt used to preserve it in his case, the funeral ashes from the cremation, etc., it is said to have great blessing power. But we should not feel that the teacher's mind is lingering near his physical relics. His mind is not caught in the limited space of his body as an individual entity would be. His wisdom mind is all-pervading beyond the concept of one and many here and there. So again, what it's saying is that his spirit is not with the body, not with the relics, that his spirit has moved on. It is, you know, it's, it's transferred on. It also is said that at the time of leaving his body and dissolving his mind in the Dharmakaya, the absolute nature, which is what that means. A highly realized teacher can liberate countless beings, bring them to heaven or lead them to a meaningful rebirth in which they can continue to progress towards enlightenment. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said on this occasion, we all, his disciples, should repay his kindness with our practice so that we become the good disciples of a good Lama or also teacher or priest. Like that of other masters, Dogo Kinsa Rinpoche's death was his last teaching, a teaching on impermanence. When he died, I felt personally as if the sun had disappeared from this world. At the time, excuse me, at the same time, I knew that this was the nature of things, that his death was his last teaching on impermanence, and that his presence would never leave my heart one instant for the rest of my life. Although the teacher was now nowhere to be found in this world, he was everywhere in all phenomena 
and every one of our thoughts. Something that's, that's so beautiful and something to keep in mind. You know, we talked about loss back in episode 10 of this season. This is so perfect to, to keep in mind and to, to note anytime someone you love passes is that although they're physically gone, they will live on forever in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your feelings. And that's why it's important to remember, always remember and cherish the good times. Don't focus, and I know it's difficult, don't focus on their death, the time of their death, how they looked, how they smelt, um, how they felt, the pain that they were going through, the pain you were going through at the time of their death. Remember them vibrantly in the, the ultimate moments of their life when you know they touched you so deeply or you know experiences and memories that you can you can recall like it happened just a moment ago those are the things to keep in mind we can thus continue to benefit from his blessings to progress on our spiritual path i indeed feel sad for those who have never met this great being and will never meet him in reality as for myself, having spent 12 years, day and night, near my teacher, together with my spiritual companions, I received from him more teachings than I could ever wish for. So it is now entirely up to us to do the necessary effort to implement these teachings in our lives and integrate them in our beings. As he said, never forget how swiftly this life will be over, like a flash of summer lightning or the wave of a hand. Now that you have the opportunity to practice these teachings, do not waste a single moment on anything else. And that's key. That phrase, that passage cannot be stated, meditated on, or contemplated too much or even enough. Because a lot of people I always hear, um, I will ask them, hey, you know, how's your studies going? How's your, you know, practices going? Um, how's your Lexio Divina going? Uh, you know, study of the Holy Scripture and meditation on the Holy Scripture. And they will, most everybody replies, it's not going well. I, I just don't have time with work and the kids and life and stuff. I just don't have time. And I, I try to be as loving as I can because I too fall prey to this from time to time. But I, I have to, to think, I don't say, maybe I should say, I'm saying now, I guess. So the, the kitty cat's out of the bag, I guess. How much time do you spend on your cell phone? How much time do you spend scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or just searching on the web or just how or playing little games on your phone or tablet or computer. How much time do you spend on doing that? That's all time that could be spent studying scripture, contemplating, meditating, you know, doing Lexio Divina, 
There are so many amazing Bible apps now that you can put on your phone or whatever your holy scriptures are. I'm sure there are apps for it. I know there is for the Quran. You can put, and the Kabbalah tradition has many as well, you know, the teachings on the tree of life. You can put these on your phone or your tablet and access them any time as easily as you can access Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Google, all of that. And I mean, I get it. I get life is busy. And this technology that we have was, was supposed to be, it was created so we would have more time to do the things in life that we wanted to do. It was never meant or, and or intended when it was created uh, for us to be addicted to it. But of course, corporations, government and all that have seen how addicted we are and connected to it. Everyone walks, including myself, raising my hand, has a cell phone on them 24-7. So therefore, you're always connected, and they're always connected to you. So that's what I'm getting at, and that's what Rinpoche was pointing out, is to not waste any breath or opportunity to study and practice your faith. So that was the article, and again, that was from Matthew Ricard. He holds a doctorate in molecular biology from the Institute Pasteur in Paris. He is a monk, a photographer, a translator. He's lived in the Himalayas for 30 years and now resides in Session Monastery in Nepal. And this article was from Tricycle Magazine um, from quite some time ago. Uh, but I will um, definitely have a link to it in the show notes and descriptions, as we always do. Um, and I'm not going to close this out quite yet. I would like to do like we do with other saints and teachers and things of that nature is share some more of Rinpoche's teachings and kind of give you guys um, my viewpoint on it. Now, again, remember that this is just my personal viewpoint on these teachings, because like all sacred teachings or all teachings from great masters and teachers, um, they're very good at making um, a multi-layer cake of in their teachings um, that, you know, it's up to you to meditate on and contemplate in uh, Lexio Divina. They're sayings and their passages and their teachings to get through all of those letter, layers or to benefit or to taste all of those layers. And it's important not to just taste them, but to fully experience them and then put them into practice. Um, you know, again, as I recently said about, you know, Cardinal uh, Thomas Collins, who says that he's a, an amazing Lexio Divina um, teacher up in Toronto, he says that, you know, you sh anytime you study scripture or do Lectio Divina or contemplate, you start with your head, you know, and then you go, you know, understanding it, you know, you know, in your mind, what it is intelligently understanding what the, what the teaching is saying. And then you go to your heart and feeling it and connecting with the divine through your heart, getting that divine energy or essence from what the teaching is. And then it goes to your hands, which is dis, you know, discerning on how to put this into practice. How can I incorporate this into my life and how can I help others? That should be 
the three premises for everything that we study um, in our faith, everything that we do in our faith. It should be head, heart, and hands. So the following teachings from Berger are excerpts from a book called The Heart of Compassion Teachings that was published in 2006. And yes, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. We are so very blessed that Rinpoche loved to write and that his students loved to write down his teachings. Um, you know, again, I was talking about we do have or blessed to have some videos of him, his funeral and cremation and all that uh, is on video as well. I have tells you how old I have a VHS tape of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could probably find it online. I'll look and see if I can find it. And if I can, I will post it in the links and show notes for anyone that wants to look at it. it it's it's very beautiful. It's it's very great. No, there's nothing gross or anything like that in it. Um, it's, it's done very beautifully um, and, and you can learn so much from it. So anyway, the Heart of Compassion Teachings. Kinsu Dilga Kinsu Rinpoche says, every day, remind yourself that if you do not study and reflect upon the teachings, meditate and recite prayers and mantras, at the moment of death, you will be helpless. Death is certain. If you wait for the moment of death to begin your practice, it will be too late. Think about why you are engaging in practice, wishing to obtain a long life free of illness, or hoping to increase wealth and influence our petty aims. Practice to be to free yourself and all others from suffering. I mean, I could stop right there. <laughs> Rinpoche is just—he's just so mind-bending and mind-blowing. Again, he's saying, showing us pointing to the importance of study, reflection on teachings, to meditate, to contemplate, Lectio Divina, again, driving all that home, the importance of prayer and praying, and not to wait until you're on your deathbed. And you'll hear from a lot of priests. You get, they get a lot of deathbed confessions. They get a lot of deathbed conversions. A lot of people on their deathbed will... Um, who did not have a faith at the, you know, as they're getting closer to death, are kicking, clawing for something to hang on to, will convert before they die, will be baptized when they die. <laughs> it's a funny story. My mother was always trying to get my stepfather, Ernie, who since passed, he passed in 92. Um, trying to get Ernie to go to Catholic church and be, you know, become a, a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. Well, Ernie didn't want to have, have anything to do with that. Ernie had his own way. He had his own belief. He had his own religion. And my mom always said, you know, I'm going to one day, I'm going to get you baptized in the, in the Roman Catholic church. And he was like, just scoffing at it. You know, he's like, ah, there's no way. There's no way. I'm never going to do that. But she did. When he died, she, she had the service done through a Roman Catholic church. And believe you me, the priest baptized Ernie in his coffin after the fact that he was gone from his body. So, you know, 
But I understand why she wanted him to be buried in, in the cemetery uh, where, you know, all of our family are buried. Well, I should say the majority of our family are buried uh, on my mom's side. So, you know, in order for here we go with politics, in order for you to be buried in a Roman Catholic cemetery, you have to be. Yep. Roman Catholic. So, um, again, just getting to, you know, these deathbed. And Ernie didn't he didn't ask for it on his deathbed. But I'm just saying a lot of people do. A lot of people do a lot of soul searching. Uh, believe you me, those of you who have not experienced uh, an extended period of time of uncertainty excuse me, uncertainty in the hospital of knowing, not knowing whether you're going to make it or not, live or die, um, you have a lot of time to think. Time really, really slows down. And minutes can feel like hours, that can feel like days, that can feel like months. With my heart, it was the longest period of time in my entire life, really was. So again, he's pointing out, Kenzo Rinpoche is pointing out the importance to not wait until you're on your deathbed. You got it right now. You have an opportunity right now. You know, I don't want to use the analogy of smacking you in the face, but it's, it's similar to that. It's like step on your toe. Wake up. Wake up. Now, 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 now is the time. Grab your Bible. Grab your Quran. Grab your Dhammapada. Grab whatever sacred scripture you use and study it. Contemplate it. Again, head, heart, hands. Learn it, know it, feel it, get the divine energy from it, and put it into practice. Share it with others through your actions. Okay, next he says, a bedridden patient only thinks about getting well again. He or she has no wish to remain sick forever. Likewise, a practitioner who yearns to leave the miseries of life behind will make use of all the ways in which that can be done, such as taking refuge, generating a mind on attaining enlightenment for the sake of others, undertaking positive actions, and so on, with a firm determination to get out of suffering constantly in mind. It is not enough to wish from time to time that you could be free of suffering. That idea must pervade your stream of thinking day and night. Again, I could stop there. That one phrase could be, you could contemplate, meditate, and practice that your entire life and, and get it. It's all right there. All of the vegan meat and potatoes are there. It's all there. Again, he's referring to when you're a patient in a hospital, you want to get out. Again, any of you out there listening who have been in any extended period of time in a hospital know that it is hell. It's torture. It is suffering. Even though they're helping you or trying to help you, you want out. You want your life back. You want your family back. You want to go home. You don't want to be there. And Rinpoche is saying, take that same thought, same feelings, 
and put that towards your practice. Put that towards your faith, the study of your faith, the practice of your faith, the understanding of your faith. Put that same energy into it. And you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. You will be amazed at how much you achieved. You know, this gets back to the orthodox uh, view of being in a constant state of prayer, praying all the time, even if it's just the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. However you want to say that one. His last sentence, that idea must pervade your stream of thinking day and night. See the connection, folks. You could say all you want about how blasphemous Buddhists are, how they're devil worshipers. And yes, I've heard that. I'd have lost how many count of how many times I've heard that. How they're devil worshipers and they believe in multiple gods and you know they're monothe or polytheistic instead of monotheistic, you know, again, believing in more gods than one god. And it's all garbage. This, my brothers and sisters, this is what Buddhists believe. This is what Buddhists follow. True Buddhists follow and practice. Okay, here's another one. When the Buddha, which again, folks, Buddha ju is just a label. Buddha means one who is awakened. And awakened to what? What they truly and naturally are. You can be a Buddha. You have what they call Buddha nature. And I do. Everyone does. That's just that nature of being able to wake up and realize that the divine is you and you are the divine. Okay? So it says, when the Buddha first turned the wheel of Dharma, which means when the Buddha first started teaching, he taught the four noble truths. The first noble truth is that there is suffering and it should be recognized. The second noble truth is that suffering has a cause, which therefore needs to be given up. That cause is the cliches or negative emotions or afflicting mental factors. Although there are many such obscured states of mind, the five principal obscurations or obstacles are desire, aggression, ignorance, pride, and jealousy. We'll come back to that. The third noble truth is that there is a path that leads beings away from suffering. This path, therefore, needs to be followed. And the fourth noble truth is that suffering can thus be brought to cessation. It can be stopped through the four noble truths. The Buddha urged us to renounce worldly concerns and strive for liberation from suffering. So you have, again, in this one paragraph, every single Buddhist teaching ever right here. Everything you need to wake up to your Christ consciousness, divine nature, to connect with the divine, to wake up to the Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, whatever you want to call in you is right here in this teaching, regardless if you're Buddhist or not. That doesn't matter. This little teaching here is huge. It transcends every, every religion, every faith, 
And by the way, folks, Buddhism is not a religion. It's a way of life, which is how our faith should be. Whatever your faith is, if you're Christian, your life should be Christian. Your life should be Jesus. So the first noble truth is that there is suffering. To be conscious of that, because we as humans only want joy and happiness, and we will do anything, literally anything for personal happiness and joy. Even if it's causing harm to someone else, a lot of humans will do it just so they can feel happy or feel joy. So knowing that there is suffering and what that suffering is, again, why he says it should be reckoned. The second noble truth is that suffering has a cause. How, do, how does it come about? Why do we suffer? How do we suffer? Where does it come from? It comes from negative emotions and afflicting mental factors. What are those? The main ones are the five principles, which are desire, wanting what you don't have, aggression, taking what you want, ignorance, not knowing what suffering is, or not knowing the truth of what reality is. Being ignorant to, uh, well, they don't practice my faith. They don't believe what I believe, so they're going to hell, and I've got to do everything to convert them. If they don't convert, I'm going to put a hex on them or a curse on them. Yeah, we did a, we did just did an episode on that last week. Put a curse on them and bind them and tell them that the you know that the protection of God is no longer with them until they come back to Him. That's ignorance, folks. Pride. Again, thinking that your way is the only way or the best way. Probably more the only way. I'm a bishop. You know, I can, you do what I say, regardless if you believe what I'm saying or not, because I know what I'm, I'm a bit, there's pride. Pride. I, me, and mine. I want this. Give it to me. This is mine. Pride and jealousy is the next one. Man, I really wish I could win the lottery. I wish I could be rich like him. Raise your hand. I'm raising mine. How many of us are guilty of that? Man, if I only had, <laughs> if I only had, if I only had $100,000, if I only had this, if I only had a house in the country, if I only had a cave to be in a hermitage, if I only had a church, if I only had this, if I only had that, um, you know, that's all types of desire, aggression, definitely ignorance, pride, I, I want, I, I, I. You know, I always say anytime you involve the I, me, and mine, you're, you're, you're going down the wrong, the wrong path, down the wrong pike. And then, you know, like I said, jealousy. You know, I want what somebody else has. I'm envious of what they have. How dare he have the life that he has, the money that he has? So again, now that we're on to the fourth truth, back to that is how to get out of this, how to stop. 
this suffering. And again, it circles right back to the Four Noble Truths. Go back to step one. What is suffering? Recognizing suffering. You continuously go through these four steps. And again, folks, these are universal. These are not bound and held to any religious faith. You can apply it to any faith or no faith. Apply it to your life right here, right now. So the next teaching, we just have two more folks. Hang in there. As you progress through these three steps, spiritual qualities will naturally arise and you will see truth of the teachings. Those qualities will bloom spontaneously because your true nature, your divine nature, your Christ nature within you is being revealed. So Rinpoche is pointing out the hardest part is getting started and staying consistent and having that discipline to keep with your studies and practices. That's what the Oblates of Perpetual Light were created for, folks. For those of you who aren't aware, there'll be an advertisement here coming up soon on exactly what that is and how you can become an Oblate for absolutely no cost at all. Only going to cost you is your time. Committing to, praying, just once a day, anytime during the day or night, whenever you want, and praying whatever prayer you want. Studying some kind of sacred text. It can be a sentence or a paragraph, a chapter, chapters, or the whole book. You decide. That's up to you. Contemplation, the Lexio Divina, you know, contemplating and meditating on what you have studied and putting into practice. That's what being an oblate is. And of course, respecting everyone of all faiths and beliefs, regardless if they're contrary to yours. If you think you want to be, or you could want to do this or think you can do this, I know you all can. Most of you probably already are doing it. Listen to the advertisement about the Oblates of Perpetual Light and join us. It's another way of helping you stay committed. Because you know if you say, okay, I'm in this group, and I've committed to or promised to do these things, it kind of, it's that stick, that guide stick of, hey, you know, you can do this. We can do this. And since you're in a group, like the Oblates of Perpetual Light, you have fellow brothers and sisters who are doing the very same thing. And guess what? They're going through the very same trials and tribulations you're going through. They're going through the same suffering. They're going through the same lack of time, not enough hours or minutes or moments in a day to do what you need to be, what needs to be done. And therefore, we all support each other. You have brothers and sisters there that will love, respect, and support you. It's a safe place for everyone. So give that some thought. It's a great way, a great way to awaken to what you and everyone truly and naturally are. Okay, so the last one here, and then we'll close, is the Buddha nature or divine nature, Christ nature, whatever you want to call it, that awakening 
of what you truly naturally are. Or as the Tibetans call, Tathagata Garba is present in all beings. That can never be overstated enough. It's not just in you. It's not something special just for you. See, again, let's remove the pride and the ego and the desire, aggression, ignorance, jealousy. Let's remove all of that. It's not about us personally. It's about everyone, including us. There's a difference, a big difference there. So it's present in all beings, but is hidden by obscurations or obstacles. What are those obstacles, folks? Desire, aggression, ignorance, pride, jealousy, suffering. Go back to those four noble truths again. In the same way that buried gold is hidden by the earth under which it lies. As you listen to, reflect, and meditate on teachings, all the inherent qualities of your divine nature will be actualized or realized. Isn't that something? Absolutely mind-blowing and beyond beautiful. I'm going to read that one more time. Sorry, folks. The divine nature is present in all beings, but is hidden by obstacles in the same way that buried gold is hidden by the earth under which it lies. See, so a lot of you might say, well, I don't have it. Just because I can't see it, I can't feel it doesn't exist. No, just like there's gold and other precious minerals under the earth you can't see, doesn't mean they're not there. The same applies. How do we find this gold? How do we obtain this gold? How do we wake up to our divine nature? He says, as you listen to, reflect, and meditate on the teachings, and that goes for any faith, folks, all the inherent qualities of your divine nature will be revealed. It will be realized. Now, some people might say it's not as easy as that. Well, putting all this into practice is not very easy, especially in our world. It is obtainable. It can be done. But I assure you, promise each and every one of you, the hardest part is getting started and saying consistent, staying consistent with that. You know, they say it takes 30 times for something to become a habit. So say you're going to pray a little every day, study some scripture and contemplate that every day and put it into practice. You've got to do it at least 30 days for the human nature, for the human mind to take that as a habit. From the thir After the 30 days, it should become easier for you. It should become instinctual for you. That's the whole thing behind um, the teachings of Buddhism, the ways of Buddhism, is to train your mind and your heart in these lessons, in these teachings, in these ways to awaken to the divine in you and in everyone and to see everyone equally regardless of who they are, 
what they are, where they live, what they believe, what their faith, what their culture, what their sexual identification is, it does not matter. Because we all have what? That one thing in us that never, ever changes, that's everlasting, the everlasting gobstopper for Willy Wonka fans. That one thing that never changes, that's always constant, that always was, always will be, that is eternal. And that is that divine nature, that divine spark in each and every one of us. Okay, so folks, on that note, I ask you to please stick around for a few more minutes. I'm going to run an advertisement for the Oblates of Perpetual Light, which I just spoke about. I'm also going to run a quick advertisement about our YouTube channel. Please check out the YouTube channel. It is absolutely fun. It's a great, a great resource, a free resource for each and every one of you to tune in anytime you want. There's stuff going up on anytime, and I'll have an advertisement coming up. And also, please, please, please stay for the prayer requests, and for the closing blessing and benediction. Just a quick announcement before we get to uh, closing prayer request and benediction. Um, I want to remind everyone um, to check out Season 4, Episode 10, The Oblates of Perpetual Light, if you already haven't. And if you have, and you're interested in becoming an oblate, please check out the website at oblatespl.wixsite.com forward slash oblates pl or contact me directly at oblates.pl at gmail.com. Links to both will be in the show notes in description. I so hope and pray to see you all as an oblate very soon. This week's prayer requests and updates are as follows. We've had Kathy in our prayer request for quite a long time. Uh, Kathy is really, really, really in need of our prayers. She had to go to the hospital this week that she has uh, a kidney infection. She has pneumonia and her esophagus needs to be stretched. Um, she has a scope that's going to be put into her stomach on the 22nd of this month of February. Uh, so let's all please, 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 please uh, keep Kathy in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. She is uh, a listener of the show and a dear family member. We consider her to be a sister. We're all brothers and sisters. So let us please continue to pray uh, for Kathy. Uh, we have an update on Ray. Um, uh, Haven was able to find out. I know it's it's very difficult for us to find information about family from family, and that's sad, but uh, Ray had to be taken to the hospital again this week. Um, he was undergoing his chemo and his uh, good lung, his only lung, is still filling up with fluid. It's quite, quite fluidy. So he's back in the hospital having that drained. So there is a pause on his chemo. Um, I guess he's doing as well as we could expect. Um, again, information is far and few between. Uh, his wife, Stephanie, as I said last week, is having issues with her kidneys. I believe she's going sometime this coming week uh, to have a step removed or something of that nature. Again, information's hard to come by, so I will let you all know as soon as I can. Uh, also, in need of our prayers, our fellow brothers and sisters, Haven, 
um, Father Daniel, his brothers, his wife, his wife, excuse me, his mother, Anne, uh, Bob, who has stage two follicular lymphoma. Let's please pray since Bob's chemo treatments are done, that he is 100% healed. Um, he goes on February 17th for a CT scan, and he goes for labs on the 22nd. So let's please keep him in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, Bob also suffers from acute pain, a lot of pain. Um, and he sees a, a pain management doctor for that. So let us pray that, you know, the divine relieves his pain as well. Next is my mother, Elaine. Let's please keep her in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Lana is still dealing with the uh, laceration on her foot. It will not heal properly. Uh, she's working with her doctor to try to figure out what's going on. She has a nurse coming out once a week to uh, clean and rewrap it. Uh, so let us please keep Lana in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Clyde, um, Mike S. Have an update on Mike S. Got to speak with Mike or community. Yeah, I did speak with him on Monday. Uh, but we have been talking back and forth in text. Um, he's he's doing good. He's he's home. The surgery lasted eight hours. Uh, it was very complicated, but um, he pulled through it. He's doing good. Uh, they actually had to his doctor had to go under some scar tissue on the bottom of his heart to get to uh, those nerves that were causing the misfiring of his heart. So again, you could only imagine how difficult a task that was, but. Doctor believes it was successful, and he's home. He's resting, and he's healing. So let us please, please, please keep those prayers going for Mike S. Uh, I just mentioned Kathy at the beginning. Let's please keep her in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, Michael T, Father Mike Cantor, Eddie, Emma, Jean, Doug, Tracy, uh, my sister Tanya, her husband Ron, who is looking for work. I believe he had a follow-up call for a second interview uh, the other day. We have not heard how that went, but let us pray that he did get that job. So uh, Salma, Sister Mercy Augustine, Cheryl, Risa, um, Elijah, who I mentioned last week, who is laid off, who, um, you know, bless his heart, he's, he's looking really hard for a job, but he's starting to get depressed. So let us please, please keep Elijah, um, you know, and his husband, Andrew, and our heart, thoughts, and prayers that, you know, he finds something very soon, um, something better than what he had before. And last but certainly not least, let us pray for Ashley and his family. Ashley is a dear, dear brother of mine. I can't stress the dear enough or the brother part. Uh, he knows why. But uh, let us please keep him and in in his family in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. And if you would like us to pray for you. Please do not hesitate to contact me. My information is at the end of the show, at the end of every show, which is coming up here very soon. I promise I'll stop talking. Uh, but I love the pray, and those who listen to the show love the pray. So let us pray for you. And I could think of no better closing prayer than a prayer uh, for Dogo Kensu Rinpoche. Now remember, folks, even though he's Buddhist, he's still like a saint or is a saint and that we can pray to him for intercession just as we would any saint. And he doesn't mind that we're not Buddhist and, you know, we shouldn't mind that he is Buddhist. Um, again, he is not even Buddhist anymore. He is at that higher 
uh, angelic, heavenly uh, teacher level. So let us pray. In nominee, a divi, filii, spiritus sancti. This is called a prayer to Dilgo Kensu Rinpoche. You reveal the natural state of self-arisen awareness, all pervasive and unchanging, and hoist the sublime victory banner over illusion, suffering, pain, and death. Of the root and branch teachings of the great perfection supreme among vehicles, you have unclouded our minds and are working to uncloud our minds. Help us to be open in heart and in mind to your teachings and help us in heart and mind to explore more of your teachings so that more and more clouds that obscure our mind, the clear light of our mind, our divine mind will fall away. Glorious guru, which also means teacher, to you we pray. Amen. I so hope and pray that you all have enjoyed the show and that it has helped you in some way. If it has helped you, please consider making an offering to the show. Offerings are a great way to help support and improve the show. It also helps and supports the Faith and More ministry. If you would like to make an offering, we are accepting them through the Cash app. The show's cash tag is dollar sign Faith and More, or you can find us at Cash dot app forward slash dollar sign faith and more an infinite thanks blessings and love in advance for anything that you can offer don't forget about our youtube channel you can watch videos of weekly ask angel questions bi-weekly sermons and homilies audio of the show the show you're listening to now is uploaded on youtube it's a great place and a fun thing to just watch and hang out on just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. I'm always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings past and present in your country, society, and culture that we do not know about, but we should. Please contact me and share these amazing beings so we can share them with the world. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our listeners love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. There's two ways to do this. The first is to email me at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com or through the website at faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you.